This is a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. Go to allthews.3cr.org.au. The 3CR Gardening Show is coming to you today from the Woi Wurrung Nation. We acknowledge the Wurundjeri people as the traditional owners of this land. We recognise the practices of care and cultivation of the land and waters by the First Peoples and pay our respects to their elders past and present. Wherever you are and wherever you garden, we encourage you to know whose land you're on. Good morning and welcome to the 3CR Gardening Show. I'm your host for this morning, Emma Hurd. I'm a horticulturalist and a landscape architect. And I hope there are some listeners out there awake and keen to call in for a chat because we have some great guests here in the studio. Later in the show, we'll be chatting about some plants that our guests have brought in and as well as some things in the garden that are going on this roller coaster spring that we're having. <laughs> um, so let's wander down the garden path together and I'll introduce today's guests. So I've got the pleasure of introducing Stephen Wells back into the show. He's a nurse, a horticultural therapist and garden coordinator at Austin Health, plus gardener, garden designer and writer. Good morning. Uh, Welcome, Stephen. Thanks for coming in. Uh, We've got our horticulturalist and seed specialist, Meryl Johnson from Seedscape Seeds. Hello, everyone. Good morning. Thanks for joining us. And we've got uh, Ben Brooker, plants man and co-owner of Treasured Perennials Nursery and Landscaper. Welcome, Ben. Yeah, good morning. How was your journey in this morning, everybody? Well, mine was very short. I only came from the city today because last night we went to the Paul McCartney concert. Oh, wonderful. I'm a little hoarse this morning. <laughs> You've done very well to be have a post-concert yeah. catch-up here this tired. morning. You've been cheering. Oh, it was absolutely brilliant concert, yeah. yes. And great crowd. Everyone just had a terrific time and... Yeah, everyone had a great time, but were very well behaved. So that might have had something to do with the age bracket. But on the other hand, there were people from little tiny kids to right through the ages to people who were original Beatles fans, and everyone had a great time. Well, that's the thing about good music, isn't it? It brings generations together. Yes. Yeah, it's really good. Oh, wonderful. I'm glad that you had a bit of an easier run-in because you're usually a lot further afield. (laughs) Yeah. What about you guys, Ben and, and Stephen? Um, good run in. It's nice mm. and early. But uh, yes, the roller coaster reference. <laughs> I laughed Left too. this morning going, oh yeah, it's kind of mild. Yeah. Knowing that the weather could change. And yes. It did. A few showers yeah. coming through. So I'm not sure how much it's going to uh, be of substance. But mm. a bit of extra water on the, on the ground is always good. Especially yeah. when it's so warm, it really just shoots the plants away. I don't know about Correct. your plants, Ben, but mine are leaping out of their skins at the moment, both in bloom and size and lushness. <laughs> if we get a really hot spell, it could be disastrous, but I'm ringing all my friends and saying, it's perfect right now. <laughs> yeah. Do you find any complications with, like, a spring that's very uh, cold snap, then warm, then cold snap, then warm? Like, do you find things shoot really high and then you've got to cut them back earlier than expected or the flowers just get spent too quickly, things like that? So I've found, so it's been a funny season for us because I've found there's been things that have shot early yes. and then there's things that have actually shot shot away late, actually. Mm. I've still got things just starting to come through now. We're yeah. the same, Ben. We've had the roller coaster effect yeah. very much. So mm. some things have bloomed a month earlier than mm. normal, which was really... Gee, that's a big difference. It was yeah. panic-making. That's a very big difference. Yep. But as you say, other things were very late 
shooting, the hostas are very late mm. coming out, you know, even emerging. I would agree year. with that in my garden. But the yeah. things when things the things that have shot early, so because we've actually had like a cooler or a mild sort of sort of winter mm. and then you have a couple of hot days, even though you have that growth on, you notice everything just starts to just to like wilt and fall over. <laughs> they deflate very quickly. Even though don't they? even though you got moisture in the soil, they just yes. they're just trying to, you know, Climatise or cope with that yep. sort of sudden snap of that warm Agreed. warm couple of days, and then mm. you get the cool days, and then warm days. They just, they, I think, the plants are sort of feel quite confused as, are they, as I'm, well. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. And, but a good trick to just to help with that, I find, is to use some seaweed product or or fish product, um, and and just with a watering can, pour it over things. It just gives them doesn't feed them and make them even more lush. It just gives them a little tonic and helps strengthen up the cell walls and they're much more resistant. Mm. So mm. Uh, that's a good thing to use in the spring. If mm. I get a chance, I'd like to talk about silica yes, as well yes. because it's yes. about the cell so, wall structure. And yes. last time when I was on, I spoke about boron. These are all synergists with each each other. So if mm. I get a chance. Very keen uh, to talk yeah. about that. Do you yeah. want to launch into it now? There's no problem. Oh, well, yeah, because last time it was, yeah. I, we spoke about boron, because um, yeah. boron is, uh, it does multiple functions, and one of the functions is it's actually a, a driver of uh, cell, um, uh, cell uh, strengthening and, mm. um, and also producing new cells. Uh, it also needs that synergist where it needs calcium and also uh, silica, um, which is actually naturally silica in our soils everywhere, but it's just... Uh, a very minute is solubilized in our soil for, for a plant to uptake it but the benefits what silica does is it actually um, it, it, when it's absorbed into the plant uh, it, it sort of puts a layer around the the cell wall uh, and then also helps to break down um, the, the the boron and, and the calcium to sort of yeah go and, and build new cell structures mm. and so the plant can metabolize it I guess yeah, yeah yeah so it actually makes that cell wall structure so that will prevent the plant from um, uh, from a lot of pest uh, infestations or uh, any fungal infestations. It helps so, to make it much more resistant. Yeah, so because uh -huh. that cell was a lot thicker and stronger, yes, yes. they can't penetrate into the, into the chloroplast to, to, to get the proteins yeah. uh, in, the, in the actual cell wall. Um, and how do you apply that? Do you apply that to the soil with the boron or is that a foliar feed? It is a foliar feed. Um, the best way I find is it's actually called potassium silicate. Um, so if you want to jump online, you, you jump and just type in potassium silicate um, and then you should come up with different sort of companies that actually sell the product. Mm -hmm. It is a product you can't buy, you know, locally from your nurseries or... Is it like a um, bulk kind of buy, wholesale buying, buying kind of context or...? You can, yeah, yep. yeah. So because that's normally how I buy, buy 20 litres at a time. But you yep. can buy one little one litre bottles. Yeah, great. Um, I know they're available. So, Excellent. Yeah. Um, but it is, it's a, it's a... I think if you, if we start getting really hot summers and all that this is actually a, a way of sort of protecting your plant because it does sort of strengthen the the soil wall mm. so you actually do get less um sort of evaporation out of the plant yeah, as well collapse of cells yeah yeah what happens when the the leaves look as if they're wilted or or even burnt but in a yeah. soft way mushed <laughs> yeah by a hot day it's yeah it's just the cell walls it makes collapsed. it nice and strong so but the other benefits it does too is it's a um, it's an immune elicitor to the plant, so it actually any um, abiotic or biotic stresses within a plant, um, you know, it just sort of enhances it all. So, 
so you're not getting these these really you know, if we start getting these really harsh days then you, you it's sort of minimizing that stress yes yep. as possible so it's a good idea to start now um, because then you have built up that strength before we hit the really big yeah. challenges of, yeah. of a really hot so, summer's day. So I, with my regime with it, I, I apply it three times a year. Yeah. So it's usually when I apply the boron and the calcium, so usually spring, summer and autumn. Yes. That's all you need. You don't yep. need to make it, um, you know, too often because then... It's the, too much build-up in yeah, the Yeah, well, it's yeah. the potassium that's in it becomes yep. a bit more toxic within the plant So because you have actually keep adding, you know, you, you're adding these, these minerals. Mm. So that's for general garden beds? Yeah. Is it and the same for potted plants? Yeah, potted plants, mm. yep. uh, vegetables. And the same regime? Yeah, natives, it doesn't matter. Great. So, yeah, there's no really... Um, sort of specific sort of type of plants that actually yeah you need to target. But it's um, not too late now. Is no, it? not at all. Rip into it now. Yes. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. So, but it also like it will enhance flavour in like if you've got vegetables or, yep. or fruit trees, mm. um, it does really sort of bring out the flavour a lot more as well. Mm-hmm. So because you're, you're actually uh, making those cell wall structure uh, the, the the cell wall much stronger and also bigger. Um, it's allowing the plant to store more of the, more of the, the sugars, f- and yeah, yeah, yes. the, yep. the carbohydrates and all that sort of stuff in the actual plant and proteins. Great. Um, and it, it's sort of another aspect of it all. It sort of helps to the whole process of photosynthesis of the actual plant, which is actually one of the major functions of the plant. Exactly. Yeah. That's what it's there to do. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. Well, I'm I'm pleased to report my tomatoes are still doing really well. They've begun to flower, and the bees are about. So we're very we're, we're in there with a chance this year for tomatoes by Christmas. <laughs> right. Let's say, did you get them in the ground earlier or in? No, not in, in our, pots. In pots. Yep. In nice big black pots. I I started them off just in fairly small um, pots. I'm holding up my hands, everyone, so <laughs> everyone can see. Possibly, <laughs> Make a little tube-sized. Pot. Yeah, not not tiny tubes, but yeah. medium-sized tubes, yep. but not a full-scale pot. Mm. Um, and they they do like to have that little bit of compression, that little bit of root binding to help them get away early. And then I potted them up into eight-inch pots, um, and again buried the stem deeper than it was before. Took off a couple of lower leaves and buried the stem deeper so they could make more roots and they were lovely and warm in that pot and then once they reached the edge of that pot up into great big pots and uh, that's where they are at the moment still under shelter but doing really well (laughs) as we're kind of heading towards the uh, generic marker of cup weekend yes um i know weather weather changes that but yes a lot of people are commenting that Unless you've done it like you, um, which is great, you, you know the soil's still not quite warm enough, and yet we have days of going, oh, it's warm, so we put them in, um, and everyone's <laughs> and crazy about tomatoes um, at different places. But I've been to garden clubs or the, the local garden centre, go, the tomatoes are out. Um, <laughs> but yes, we're, there's still still that cusp yes, of timing, so that's good to hear you've got well, yours up. Oh no, I, I just about put them out. And then we nearly had a frost, so yep. I'm, I'm not quite ready yet. Good, yeah. good. But Keep we are picking tanks. lots of peas. Oh, that's lovely. Peas are delicious at the moment. Which for um, snow peas or all pod sorts. peas? Uh, the one I'm really enjoying most of all is honey pod, called honey pod. And I've never grown it before. It's not as vigorous a grower, so maybe good for pot 
use and, and smaller gardens, but the, the whole, you eat the whole pods and uh, it's extremely sweet, really a yummy pea. So I'm going to grow more honey pods um, next year, but just the good old-fashioned green feast for the, the potting peas are producing really well at the moment. Mm, beautiful. It's nice to have something that's producing sequentially all through the year. So peas are that nice in between autumn and summer, like they just are. before things ramp up in the summer garden. Yes, mm. but it's, I think, a good idea to do uh, a sequence of sowings mm. because sometimes the early ones do get set back and aren't quite as productive. But if you can sow, you know, every 10 days to a fortnight, just sort of coming out of winter then you can get a a succession Mm. which is good succession planting is excellent Mm, that's great advice we're having our kitchen uh renovated at the moment it was a very elderly kitchen but it's being all flashed up it's going to look absolutely fantastic wonderful wonderful ovens and things um but we can't, we can't cook anything. Um, so breakfast is a really strange arrangement. We have some peas first, <laughs> followed up by strawberries you, out in the garden. You've Perfect. joined the raw food movement. Yes, yes. exactly. Mm. The true pick and eat veggies. Yes. Pick and eat meal. Yeah. Yeah. At least they're both things that you can have raw, you know. like they're not, It's not like you're harvesting eggplants and thinking, oh, what do I do with <laughs> these today? This? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I mean... Salted eggplants are fine, but I think you still need to cook them. You can barbecue them, pop them on the barbecue. True, true, true. That would be nice. In any case, that's not a problem you have to deal with just yet. So (laughs) so when will your kitchen be ready? Well, we hope we'll be able to cook again in about a week's time. Oh, wonderful. That's very exciting. It is, for us anyway. Yeah, it's nice to do renovations. So I might make some little community announcements because being spring, there's quite a bit on. Um, So today is the last day of the Royal Botanic Garden Melbourne and Cranbourne's um, spring plant sales. So in the city today, they're running from 10 a.m. till 3 p.m. And um, they've got a lot of things on offer. They've got some Australian natives, climbers, bulbs, rhizomes, camellias, herbs, perennials, hanging baskets... Shrubs, succulents, trees, bromeliads, orchids. And they did, I, I went yesterday, they had quite a nice range of rhododendrons and vireas, which can be hard to come by in your local nursery. So that was nice. Um, and it's it's a great um, opportunity to get horticultural advice as well, because a lot of the volunteers and the members of the Friends are quite you know knowledgeable themselves. Yes, right. so yes. It's really a wonderful event to go to, especially if you're a new gardener. So if you're a friend of the Melbourne Botanic Gardens, you also receive a 20% discount, which is just lovely. Um, So you can enter via Southern Gate, which was formerly known as E-Gate, and um, you'll find them on the tropical lawn outside the tropical glasshouse. And entry is free. So then um, the Cranbourne Botanic Gardens uh, plant sale is running an hour further down the day so they're running 10 a.m till 4 p.m and um, they're at 1000 Bellato Road in Cranbourne and they've got more of a broad range of Australian native plants so you can choose from native grasses, climbers, uh, ground covers, small and large trees and their prices start at three dollars so you can you can get a bargain there Um, so that that'll be a lovely opportunity this today so drop in 
Uh, Open Gardens Victoria has three lovely, lovely gardens opening next weekend, which is Saturday the 28th and Sunday the 29th of October. So the first one is Mimosa, and that's uh, 24 The Crescent in Sassafras, and that's open from 10 a.m. till 4.30 p.m. Uh, set within three acres of temperate rainforest within moss-covered trails along Sassafras Creek, this historic hills garden has a fascinating horticultural history. The gardens have been progressively enhanced from a rumoured Edna Walling 1930s design and feature an extraordinary and eclectic mix of both native and European trees, many over 100 years old. Gosh, that sounds really nice. Um, and they're providing all year round greenery and ex an explosion of colour in spring, which is right now. So it's the perfect time to go visit. Um, and they also have a magnificent Paulonia tree, which is in full flower at the moment. And if, if anyone's familiar with the Paulonia tree, it's got gorgeous mauve flowers. It looks a little bit like a cross between a jacaranda and a catalpa. Yes. Like the yep. leaf is a bit yes. like a catalpa. Yes. They're, they're gorgeous. Yeah, yes. they're gorgeous trees. So, um, I yeah. You and don't see Paulonias that much. No. So. And, and they, they are quite brittle at times. Mm. So it... They are usually grown in fairly protected, at least from the wind, yes. areas. Yeah. So some sites are not suitable for them. And to see a big one is a sight to behold. Yeah, yes. very good. I think they use the timber for surfboards. Oh, really? Yeah, so oh, no, fun fact. It's a lighter, yeah. lighter timber. Yeah. Yep, mm, makes very sense. Nice. Oh, well, um, we have another garden that's open next weekend as well called Daphne's Garden, and that's at 345 Coragulac. Biak Road. I might spell that. It's C O R A G U L A C uh, hyphen B E E A C Road. And that's in Warrion. Um, that's near Colac. So if you feel like a day trip, this is the one for you. Um, an English style garden developed over many years by dedicated plants woman. This includes a laburnum, pinus petula, cornus. Alternerifolia variegata, and many more. Uh, rhododendrons, azaleas, and old-fashioned roses are spread throughout, adding colour and perfume. Much variety in, and interest to be found in this garden. So that sounds beautiful, Southwest Vic. And then we've got Wanawong, which is uh, 950 Colac Lavers Road, oh sorry, Lavers Hill Road, in uh, Barongawook. And that's also near Colac, so... Um, you can do two big country gardens. Yeah. Mm. And uh, it's not a big drive out of Melbourne. It's no, like two drive. hours oh, to Colac? Oh, that much to Colac. Yeah. Um, it's a spectacular hillside garden setting that is flanked by fields and bushland dropping steeply away to the east. It's a well-designed garden that sits beautifully in the surrounding bush landscape. And this diverse garden of flowering shrubs and trees amid stately tree ferns and eucalypts uh, is a cool climate garden and allows Janet to grow azaleas and rhododendrons that are a riot of colour in October. Peonies and other perennial plants also thrive, with Janet germinating a lot of her border plants from seed. I can vouch for that. <laughs> yeah? You know Janet well? Yes. Oh, good. Um, there are well-designed productive elements to the garden 
and are all caged to protect from the abundant wildlife. So that's a good opportunity to see what a caged garden looks like and, and probably how you can still have quite a beautiful garden in, you know, up against wildlife, which is very useful to a lot of gardeners. So entry to all these gardens are $10 for adults, $8 for students and under 18s are free. And tickets can be booked and prepaid online via try booking. You can also pay on the day or for more information, go to the Open Gardens website. And uh, I have to thank Open Gardens Victoria very much because as is customary, we have um, one double entry pass to give away for these amazing gardens. So give us a call on 94190155. It's first in gets the gets the entry and um, Jacob will take your call and um, arrange for you to get your tickets. So I do just have two more events. Um, the Ferny Creek Hort Society is having their flower festival and that's featuring exhibits of rhododendrons, azaleas, perennials and late spring bulbs plus many other plants and that's happening on Saturday the 28th and Sunday the 29th of October. Um, Saturday is 12 till 4pm and then Sunday is 10 till 4pm. They'll also have plant sales with a variety of specialist growers, um, roses from Wild Rose Nursery, who um, we've had the lovely grower from Wild Rose Nursery, I think it's Reuben on the show yes. before, um, and he grows a, a wonderful range of species varieties, which are hard to come by, so if you're after something like that, highly recommend visiting the Fernie Creek. Um, herbaceous tree and itopenies from Fernsbrook Peony Farm. So, oh, sorry, I pronounced that wrong. Fresbrook Peony Farm. So that sounds like a lovely opportunity to get some of the rarer things that you can't find in your local nursery. And then last but not least, uh, Yarra Valley Plant Fair and Garden Expo is happening November 11th and 12th from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. And that's at 125 Quail Road in Wandon East. Um, entry fee is seventeen dollars for adult for adults. Um, children fourteen to eighteen are fifteen dollars, and children under fourteen are free. And I believe Ben and Kerry from our lovely uh, perennial growers will be there. Yeah, we'll definitely be there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we're we're going to start hopefully preparing. Um, mm. Not this weekend, but the following weekend. Yeah. Yeah. Start fantastic. preparing for it. And so. I guess. You might have some of the lovely plants that you've brought in today available. Yes, yeah, I brought in uh, one of them is a little tolbagia. Um, it's uh, not a you know the society garlics. Mm. Um, this is a, a species variety uh, called tolbagia uh, montana. Um, mm. Tolbagia sort of refers to uh, a gentleman. He was a, a governor uh, um, in South Africa, and they actually named the the whole series of tolbagias uh, after him. So his name was actually um, I think. It was Reich uh, Tolbag, um, and the Montana uh, is actually referring to to, to mountain ranges yes. or mountainous. Yes. So, um, so this one here actually comes from the the, the south, um, yeah, well, so the eastern sort of the uh, Cape Province of South Africa. So very so. very climatically suited to growing in southeastern. Australia and it's just so cute. Yeah, it's only tiny, so it probably only gets to maximum is only like twenty centimeters in height. So it's not a not a very tall top egg, yeah. But the flowers sort of everyone thinks of the the pink and the white, you know, the big mm. sort of uh, um, 
the star-shaped flower, but this is actually has like a real pendulous sort of head on it. Yeah. Um, and the corona in the center is actually like a nice sort of bright orange. Yeah, the lovely then, apricot. Yeah, and then you have these sort of grayishy green sort of segments coming off the back of it. Mm. So. And the yeah. leaf looks finer than Torbagia violacea. Yeah. It does, yeah. Quite yeah. It's only, only small. So it is something if you put in the garden, you want to have it sort of front of border. Yeah. Um, and then you sort of have it on mass too because, I mean, when it's flowering on mass, it's quite spectacular. It, it would so. be indeed. And and does it clump as quickly as the others, Ben? It does, um, but it has a tendency in winter, it can go back into the ground yes. for, for a little while and then it all of a sudden just pops back up again. I'm, I'm uh, thinking it would be ideal for a pot. Yeah, uh, wouldn't yeah. need to be a, a very large pot. No. Um, and being so hardy and, and with its rhythms naturally in tune with our climate, you could, you know, it, it wouldn't be a pot that would need a heck of a lot of attention. It, it doesn't. Would, it no. would follow the seasons well, quite happily. Surprisingly, when you look at the plant, the plant looks small, but when if you look at the root system, it's actually got a very sort of Tenacious. large root system. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. It, it is a, a geophyte. So. It will hold a lot of moisture in, the, in its root system as well. Yes, so, so ideal yeah. for a pot that you don't yeah. necessarily have to water no. every day. No. And right. quite drought tolerant. Exactly. It is, yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 And very cute. Yeah. It is. Well, I might uh, segue into, we've got Virginia on the line and she'd like to talk about an open garden that she went to. Good morning, Virginia. Hi, gang. Thanks Hello. for being Hello. on hold. Yeah. Morning. <laughs> It's raining up here. Hooray! <laughs> yes. After two such beautiful hot days, and now the garden's getting a drink. I'm so pleased. Excellent. <laughs> good. I went to an open garden in Talarook yesterday, which for people, I mean, from here it was a bit of, a, it took me an hour and a half, but from Melbourne it's not far at all, and it was just lovely. Is that the one up at, uh, near Seymour? Yes, it's yep. the Four Seymour on the Upper Goulburn Road. Um, Talarook's the size of a postage stamp, <laughs> um, whereas the towns on either side, Kilmore, Broadford and Seymour, are all quite big. And this garden, it's the Upper Goulburn, the r road runs along the Goulburn. And so it's, it's, in, um, it's in a beautiful backdrop, you know, there's, there's hills behind with rocks over them. It's on a farm. And it, it was just it's beautifully designed. One. I really, really enjoyed, enjoyed what, it. What were some of the highlights? Well, he had, he had some unusual plants, which is always lovely for me. I love to see things that I don't see everywhere. But it's also, it's, you know, he's obviously been doing it for quite a while. It's established. He's got beautiful trees. And... He has elements of formality with informal plants. So nice. it makes it, you don't realise the formality is there, but it's giving you that pleasure that formality gives you without, you know, straight lines and... Being too rigid. Yes. Things, everything really clipped. and It was just lovely. So I just wanted to ring and say to listeners, even though it's damp, it mightn't be there because they're the other side of the divide anyway. It's because Kilmore's where the divide is. Yep. Um, it's worth. It's really worth a trip, I reckon. Hmm. I so just that, that's my two pennies for the day. Excellent. <laughs> and that's you. open through Open Gardens. Yeah. Victoria. Yes. yes. You'll just find it in Open Gardens. It's Wonderful. Upper Golden Road, Talarook, and it'll it's signposted. Yeah, mm. I just looked it up. So it's five hundred Upper Goulburn Road in Talarook. It's called Rockby. 
yeah. So it's thank just, you. It's definitely worth a trip. Excellent. Oh, that's a great recommendation. Thanks so much. Bye all. Bye. Bye-bye. See ya. See ya. Um, I would like to also add there's a, on that direction, well, it depends on which way you're travelling. So that's a that's my um, disclaimer there. Um, Arthur's Creek uh, have um, their annual garden walk on today. Um, so it's Arthur's Creek Mechanics Institute Hall is where it's starting from. So if you go to their website, which is arthurscreekhall.com.au, um, it's got details on there. Tickets are $30 per adult and children are free. Uh, and I think there's about five gardens uh, that you then can meander through for that ticket price. Um, and there's plants for sale. Uh, and I think I had a quick look on the, online again. There's some homemade goodies to um to purchase so tickets are available at the institute hall um so i'd recommend i'm not sure how they're doing payment process but take either cash or card it's always handy to have cash when you're going to a plant sale or (laughs) areas to buy plants as well um but yes arthurscreekhall.com.au beautiful so that's our hurstbridge direction northwest northeastish sorry good recommendation thanks Stephen. so Flowing on from Virginia's mm. northern Melbourne yeah. um, And next options. weekend is the Alexandra Open Gardens Festival as well. Which Gosh, we've got to keep... Uh, I know. We've got to keep the diary yeah. open. To yeah. Take, yeah. Where can we fit this? This is great. It's that so, time of the year. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Alexandra. That, it's a very long-established open garden mm. um, fester. Yep. And uh, there's some magnificent country gardens in a gorgeous setting. So... Beautiful. Oh, if we can't get beauty this spring, when are we going to get it? Mm, definitely. Well, that's wonderful. Thank you for bringing that up. So you're listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. My name's Emma Hurd, and with me in the studio are Stephen Wells, Meryl Johnson, and Ben Brooker. And it's now time to invite our listeners uh, to join us. So if you've got a gardening question or a comment, we'd love to hear from you. Our phone number is 94190155 and you can text us on 04888098855. We have had a text message already this morning. They said, uh, morning panel, love this discussion, so informative. I'm hoping we can hear more about the method and timing for applying boron and silica. I recall boron goes on under the leaves. Uh, yeah, that's correct, on the stoma. It, stomates, yeah. yeah. Stomatic opening is actually underneath the leaf, yeah. yeah. It is on top, but it's most of the underneath the leaf. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, first thing in the morning, uh, does silica go on the same time or is there a week or two delay between applying them, the boron and the silica? Allow a day um, because uh, um, it, it is alkaline. So mm-hmm. when you mix something with it that's very acidic, they just don't. It's not compatible. Yeah. Um, so I always make sure that I always start with, um, when it's springtime, I always start with trace elements. Uh, then the next day I'll actually spray uh, the potassium silicate and then after that I'll spray the, the um, potassium silicate, uh, sorry, the boron, and then I go into the calcium mm-hmm. um, because the potassium silicate and the boron uh, drive us to calcium. So calcium, when it gets into the cell or around the cell wall, which is they call the middle uh, lamellin, mm-hmm. um, it those two minerals make it to uh, make the calcium as a calcium pectate, uh, which actually absorbs into the cell and, and strengthens, strengthens the actual cell wall. 
Um, so you, if you don't have those other minerals, then you're not producing that calcium pectate mm-hmm. uh, around that cell structure. Um, and then also, I mean, there's other functions, the actual, what these minerals do as well. Um, but I think with, with plant, um, with pest and diseases uh, and sort of, you know, and climatic changes and all that sort of stuff, it's, where they're starting to get more sort of harsher summers, yes. if we get that this year, it's hard to say because we're still getting mild weather at the moment, but mm. it, it protects the plant. Exactly. It's like putting sunscreen on, on, you know, on a plant, basically. It, and, and this is perfectly suitable for applying to edibles as well, isn't it? It is, yeah. It's all yes. safe, yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah. And it certainly helps with uh, particularly the brassicas. Mm. Um, uh, cauliflowers in particular can get a, um, a disease commonly called whiptail mm. and they sort of go all lanky and don't produce good heads, etc. And it's usually a, a lack of calcium and boron. So mm. your regime would be absolutely perfect to start um, once you've planted and established your brassicas. So, yeah, so starting a, a little earlier than, than now for those, but it makes a big difference to the flavour and the strength and health and size of production. Well, I, I, how I said, it's always about plant nutrition. Exactly. So if you've got all your minerals available for your plant and you've got a really good uh, sort of biome around the root system and around the, the, the leaf surface as well. So um, what I mean by the biome is the microorganisms around the, the root system and the, and the leaf surface. So that helps to solubilise a lot of the, the exactly. nitrogen out of the atmosphere. Uh, and also, if you've got good bacteria in the soil, that can solubilise a lot of the phosphorus and the uh, in, in nitrogen that's in our soil as well. And a, so, good, a great starting point is getting the pH right. One of the cheapest and most effective things that you can buy is a pH meter or a pH test kit mm. because if you can adjust the soil pH, that's its acidity or alkalinity, um, by either the addition of lime, if it's too acid, or other things that can bring down the um, uh, the acid levels. It, it's a great help. Or you can add things to make it more acid if you've got a very alkaline limestone soil. But if you can get that pH somewhere nicely in the middle, then most plants can eat most effectively you know they've got Six, everything available to 6.4 them. on the yep. scale is, is the optimal per, level for a plant because that perfect. makes your uh, minerals uh, at the right balance yes. um, uh, so if you've got minerals that aren't antagonizing each other then the plant will actually will will, will take up all those minerals uh, if yeah. we're too far out of whack then they just can't eat some things and that's when they start to, yeah yeah to, well to really suffer then minerals become even though you've got minerals in the soil that's still right. they can't one get becomes them. more antagonizing the other ones so uh usually uh potassium will get antagonized quite easily mm-hmm. uh as with like with with calciums as well yeah yeah so you sort of have that balance but i think you've got to look on the type of plant too like for instance like blueberries need a a bit more of a more of an alkaline sort of type of soil yeah um yeah so you can sort of you try and balance your soil to, to your soil and, to, and uh, a, good, a good way of even just a rule of thumb is just to look up on the internet where the plant naturally grows and um, if you you know have a little bit of geography or you can just look it up on the internet mm. then you get to know what yep. what conditions that plant naturally grows in and if you can provide something similar it's going to be extremely happy and it's it really is the first starting point is that soil pH. Yeah. Mm. And I think the interesting thing is when you're looking at that, we, we as the, those that are planters, the, the, the gardeners, um, 
are the ones choosing to try and plant things that may not actually be suitable for the conditions. Everybody wants to do that. Which is <laughs> bread and butter. That's our normal. Um, so there's no issue with that. But it's that, also that thing coming back to the soil and knowing what your soil is. Mm. Um, and if you're having, if you're struggling in some areas, it's actually then going right. Well, what plants suit that soil? Yes. And there will be an array of plants that will suit it. So then that becomes part of your planting palette. But if you have mm. some favourites that you're going, no, I really want to try these. That's then when you're actually looking at adding more in and um, adding to the soil to get the, the benefits to be able to, the treats and treasures that we like to, to plant. Yes. Mm. Um, but it really does come down to knowing or, and, you know, you're testing your soil pH and looking at your composition of your soil to then know what, what you can achieve. Yeah. Our, our soil in our garden is naturally extremely acid. Right. So 4.9 pH mm. is its, its native, <laughs> which is great. And we leave that alone in some areas and grow yep. the plants that are adjusted and, and very happy in that, but in other yeah. areas. And it is about zoning up the plants too, isn't it? True, the yeah. That, like lime, it's a good idea in my soil anyway to keep them together in one bed yep. so that you can add additional lime there and, which and is, adjust the We pH. do it with... with watering requirements so it's no different yeah. you're looking mm. at going okay what let's look at what's below yeah. and go right clump exactly like you're saying that's you know group them up the um, other thing i'd recommend if you're not confident with meddling with your actual ground soil which some people are a bit nervous about i yep. myself am one of them i don't want to um mess around with it too much because i'm fortunate i've got lovely soil in the linda yes um which would be fairly acid i would think it, yeah. yes that's true so some of the things that I like to plant that are not acid-loving, I put in raised planters or pots. I was going to say yep. the same thing, yeah. Emma. And even if they're buried pots, mm. is another good way to do it. A large pot buried into the garden yes. and you can have your own little mini soil climate in there. Yep. Yeah. And, and then it's not encroaching on yeah. other areas as well. Buried pots are a great thing. And you can easily keep track of... Uh, what you've what amendments you've made yes you know, and have, have in our garden things. journals that we all diligently do yeah. no <laughs> as a thing you can be quite good, ad hoc <laughs> and, yes and then and then think oh what did i when did i um meddle with that part of the garden and what Correct. do i have to do now to to change it back potentially <laughs> But, yeah. It's like a recipe. You like, oh, so I don't know what I put in it. I just put mm. things in, and it tasted good. And then someone says, "Oh, what's the recipe?" And you mm. go, "Oh, a bit of this and a bit of that." <laughs> I can't. So we do it in the soil as well. Yeah, this is very true. But yeah, it's all fun experimenting with soil. As long as yeah. uh, you're, I think you do have to be measured in your approach. Yes. Yep. Don't. Um, also, don't uh, go to your garden centre and order a whole cubic ton of of soil that you don't know oh, no. enough about you know yep. um go to a, a reputable supplier that's that's got the ph information about their products and um ask some ask some questions yeah do a bit of research yeah because yes. you, know, you know the other fun thing about gardening too is there is the element of knowing and learning about your your, your environment your soil and where you are mm. And then there's the element where you just go, I just want to have fun and I just want to, I don't know whether it's the right yeah. plant for the right, that little spot, but I'm going to try it. I'm going to have fun. And then you might it. find that it actually does really well and you go, oh, that's brilliant. Yeah. It's all right to experiment. Yeah. Yes. I think that's what horticulture is about. It's about experiment. I mean, mm. when you think about it, there's no set rule. Mm. There's always, you know, no. the idea is to go out and try something, you know, and try and push things to their limits and, yeah. and what you do can be completely 
different to what I do and yeah. get the same results. Or, Correct. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you can do that in the same, like plants are amazing, interesting creatures. Mm. You can plant the same plant and I've had situations in the garden where like th- two to three metres apart from each other, mm. they're growing differently. And yeah. like, one loves you and what, one hates what, you. Yes. <laughs> what is it about that? So but true. it's that fun of giving it a go and trying. To... Mm. Yeah. 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 And what have you been doing in your garden recently, Stephen? You've done a little bit of a, a renovation project. I've had a little a... bit of a project, yes, a, yeah. a construction project. So I'm in a, a two-bedroom unit. Where I'm, so the context for that is that I'm very fortunate that the era of the unit is the 70s and I'll have more garden space than unit, which is a bit unique. Um, that being said, it's, there's pockets of small spaces around and I've got some uh, building construction happening nearby. Um, which is you know part and parcel of suburbia, mm. but I uh, th- because the lay of the land it sits a bit higher, so I've been adding um, some privacy walls in, yeah. um, which is uh, quite about two point eight high. Um, so Not just any wall though, like a green wall. Basically. Correct. So yeah. that's the foundation then for the the impetus for making the green wall context. So how I'm going to do it is that. Um, in putting that wall up, which I've done in a way that looks like it's treated pine uh, plinths, so it looks like weatherboard, painted dark uh, grey, so it's a, a solid colour, but then I felt that it was going to be too big and too overbearing, hence why I've then got all my little, um, tracked down some of the grape tin, uh, grape... Dip tins. Dip tins, yeah. that's the word. Thank you, Emma. Yeah, I love them. Um, and I've just hooked them on, and I'm actually planting them up with individual pots in those so that I can change them around. Oh, how nice. Um, one idea is to plant the whole tray up and or the tin up, um, but then I was like, no, I, I, no, I know me. I know that I like to yeah. trial and error, and if that one's not working, I can pull that bit out and put another pot in. There's something so nice about that as well because you can change it seasonally. Yeah, and true. You can really, um, well, bring out the designer in you uh, yeah, and I think with plants. Absolutely. The fun thing for me is I've not done uh, this style of garden for, um, as such. I've got hanging or potted plants around, but it's also a bit of experiment coming back to the mm. idea of having a bit of fun and learning. So I, wanted to, I want to learn and try different plants and go, okay, how do you work in this condition? Because for me, I'm not, I, the watering process is just by hand with a yes. garden wand. Um, but that's good too because some things are going to need more Correct. and some things less, yeah. particularly at, at different seasons. So there's some plants, I've got some bromeliads in there, so they're pretty tough and look yep. at the sun-tolerant ones. Um, and then I've also got some uh, that I've put with trays so that when I do water, it does collect a bit so it does retain a bit, it doesn't just yep. drain through the pot because I'm aiming to kind of look for summer to be once a week-ish I don't necessarily want to be a slave, a slave to, to it. it. No. Mm. So I'm looking at plants that are tougher for that condition. Get some of it. There's two walls that I've got there now. One's a morning sun and one's an afternoon sun. So I have oh, to look that at... that gives you a completely different range of correct. plants. Correct. So I'm looking at it? succulents. I'm looking at some... Trialling a few natives. I've got a few potted lamandra in there just to go, right, let's just see how they go. Mm. Um, I imagine they'll do well. They should do. Yeah. Um, my, I think my... my I was going to say challenge, but the fun will be watching it happen over the years and mm-hmm. see when I need to pull some out because they're getting too big in a pot. So you keep them smaller and replant. Yeah. Um, but hopefully have some staple ones that are there and I don't need to do much to. And then 
little pocket ones that I'm pulling out, trialling or having fun with. And, mm. and you want some good architectural ones that are going to give Correct. substance to the design all um, around. So have you got any ideas for that? So I've got some uh, agave, Yes. the one. swan neck agave. Yep. Um, obviously I'm not going to let them get, as, well they won't get as big as the ones <laughs> in, the gar- in the ground. Um, I find in the pots that they'll stay smaller Yes. Um, because they're contained. So I've got some of those in. I've also got some epiphyllums. Yes. Um, I was at a plant sale the other day and you get there early and you have a look at and you see some wonderful little treasures as well. So I've got some of those in. Um, the other one that I've got for a bit of substance but um, it's a management mindful of is the good old spider plant. Yes. Um, it's, it, in some situations it can be a bit weedy um, but in this situation I can easily manage it and... Mm. Um, yep. contain and I like it because it's not only the the shape of the arching foliage but it's then the the little dingle dangles the, of yes the growth. dingle dangles down the bottom the, <laughs> yeah. the, the cascading effect yes. that helps fill and make it full, have a bit more substance yeah. and in the the sort of morning sun only wall what what are some of the plants that you've selected um I have tried a little pocket of some ferns because that gets predominantly shade mm-hmm. um but I haven't put them up in the top where We're it gets more exposed, exposure yeah. Um, There's such a lovely variety of ferns available more and more correct. from retail nurseries, so it's nice to try. There's a there's a really beautiful spleenwort that has like a almost like a shield shaped leaf that's gorgeous. Yes, uh, yeah, and very hardy too. Surprisingly, yep. a lot of ferns can take more sun than we think. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. they're versatile. You know, you can yep. have them in full shade. Yep, but you know, if you do have a spot that's got a bit of a fair bit of morning sun, they'll yep. they'll be all right. Yeah, and they're getting more and more that are adapted well to our mm. climate, which, yeah. you know, not everyone can grow maidenhairs, sadly. Yeah. Mm. Correct. So, yeah, it's a bit of a fun exercise. I think some other ones that I'm trialling in there are some of the Nandinas. Yes. Um, just for the foliage. Um, I've got a the wall that it sits predominantly on. I've got a, a pod structure that sits within the wall, and that's painted red. Um, so I'm looking at some other some of the plants that might give me some of that in foliage. So the Nandina, if they tip into that red tone, I might get some of that. Or the, the epiphyllum that I picked up the other day, by chance, was a red flowering one. I'm like, right, you go You're on the wall. <laughs> so just so there's that little connection from the plants into the, the built structure as and, well. And mm. the uh, the sort of um, mid-grey or charcoal grey that you've... Painted yep. the wall is going to be a great setting for yeah, whatever foliage. I'm a big fan for the dark background. So yes. it's, a, it's a colour called treacle. Um, so it kind of sounds like a honey kind of colour, but it's definitely not that. But it's a dark grey, but it has tones of warm in it, browns and greens in it. It's a really yes. hard colour to describe, but mm. treacle is the name. Mm-hmm. I came across it years ago reading an article about um, a landscape gardener um, who used it in their design i'm like oh my goodness i must remember that mm. so then got to use it and you're right that dark color mm-hmm. it pops the other colors it helps things just jump out and you lose that so you, from a boundary planting point of a boundary point of view you lose the solidness of a boundary mm. if you've got plants in front of a color like that because then the plants are the feature yes and you don't go oh and the fence you just see it and go, there's the, the garden and the plants. Yeah. Well, how exciting. Mm. What a great project. And anyone can do that, even in a very small space. Mm. Correct. And, but you can fit lots of plants in. Well, lots that's of the other fun thing. And interest. This yeah. space I had, I had, I had nothing on the wall and I had a couple of big pots of maples there, which I've moved um, Egyptian style with rollers and pots <laughs> and pieces of timber. 
to another area of the garden, but then, so there was very little on the wall. Now I've gone, right, I've just amplified garden. my garden <laughs> yeah. plant numbers because I've now got them all on the wall. That's so there's more opportunity for plants. If you can't, if the ground level's finished, go up. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Find the <laughs> vertical options. Well, we've got a wonderful caller who's been on hold, so I best get, get chatting to Lee from Hobart. Hello, Lee. Oh, hi, it's, it's Liam. Oh, um, thanks, Liam. Sorry, sorry I'm about that. Hearing myself. Thank you for holding. <laughs> oh no worries. Um, I've got a question about uh, glyphosate um, and and killing trees with glyphosate, which is something I wouldn't usually uh, opt to do. But I have a um, Pittosporum undulatum in my garden, mm. which is um, really invasive here in yes. Hobart and. Um, and I'm sort of thinking, I, I quite like the form of it, mm. um, you know, and it's providing a bit of shade for things underneath. And um, and I was sort of thinking, well, maybe I can I can kill it and, and grow something up through it and, and sort of have keep the structure. Sure. But but the, I guess I'm wondering about how, like, using Roundup um, then affects the soil. Um, you know, from the decomposition of, of the roots and things. Um, yeah. yeah. So um, best thing is, is when you actually uh, spray uh, glyphosate, um, after, once the plant starts to sort of die off, then you want to try and find, uh, you can actually buy these products online, either uh, humic acid or fulvic acid. Yeah, uh, right. That actually helps the breakdown of, uh, of, the, of glyphosate. Um, okay. And then it'll yep. neutralise everything because when you actually apply glyphosate, um, it actually it's not killing the plant. What it does, it actually um, it shuts off uh, what you call a shikimate pathway in the actual plant, um, and also the shikimate pathway is also in your microorganisms as well. So you're actually you're, you're blocking uh, magnesium and manganese in the actual plant and also in the microorganism. So eventually what happens is you get other, other bad pathogens that will come in and, and attack it and kill it. That's how actually how glyphosate actually works. Um, so yeah, okay. what you actually need to do is once you've actually killed the tree off, apply the humic acid or a fulvic acid um, and even mix a bit of molasses with it as well. So that's which is your carbon and sugar base as well. Um, and that yeah. will help the bacteria or the microorganisms to, to recolonize around the soil uh, and at the yep. same time it, it actually does release a, a microorganisms which actually attacks glyphosate as well and, and, and chews up and gets rid of the, the, the residue up. of it yeah mm. um, and uh, then okay. plant something like, like then improve your soil a little bit um, where, you, where you're going to put the, the climber or whatever you're thinking about planting there uh, and then put like a uh, a loosened mulch on top because that actually if you can add a bit of cow manure with the loosened mulch as well because that'll also provide a um, a uh, bacteria called protozoa uh, another one is zodobacter which are all nitrogen um, fixing microorganisms in the soil um, so that'll actually whatever you plant in there you're actually going to get nice growth at the same time um, ah, excellent friend of, so mine, much. friend of mine was uh, saying the other day about molasses for a gum tree yep, um, yep. so your point about that um, I hadn't heard that for a long time, and so it really intrigued me. I use molasses a lot. Yeah. I think it's a really good carbon source and a good sugar uh, sugar source, and it feeds uh, whatever you. I always put when I when I apply minerals, I always apply it with with a fulvic 
or yep. humic acid. Uh, but at the same time, I'll put a molasses with it because that feeds those microorganisms. Yeah. So yeah, you're sending this off with a, a food source uh, and then... It all tests, the little critters yeah, get in there yeah, and, and they time. stick around and solubilise all these minerals around yeah. your soil, yeah. But so just thinking also for Liam's question there about the growing something up into the tree structure once it's been killed, I'm pretty sure Liam will be mindful of this, but that may not last yes. long as a structure. Mm. So if you're thinking of growing something back up into it, yeah. Um, mm. Might be a few years, but, yeah, just keep an eye on it because especially if there are larger limbs, you just don't want yep. them falling down willy-nilly. So, <laughs> All the yeah. roots rotting out yeah. and falling yeah. over, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, you thought Liam was great about thinking about planting something up into it, but mm. I'd just be conscious of that as to how long that might last for you. So even if you drop it, cut it down to a reasonable sort of size, mm. and cut off those. So you just basically have a trunk there and then if you put something structural there, yeah, yeah, yeah. for something to climb yeah. up or, or plant, plant another yeah. bush. The other yeah. thing I would mention in terms of the way you apply your herbicide to the tree, um, you might know this already, but um, the better method would be what's called a drill and fill method. Yes. Um, it's not like yeah. a shrub where you would put a foliar application on it. You're best to, yeah, I'm sure you sound like you know this already, but um, get your get your battery drill out and... Um, create an ang angled hole which is uh, downwards into the heartwood of the tree and then mm -hmm. use a syringe to apply your herbicide into mm. the, into the um, trunk of the tree. Great. Yeah, thank you very much for the advice. And, um, That's right. Yeah, I just yeah, want to say how much I love the show too. Oh, good. So good. And um, thanks, Meryl, for your great speed. <laughs> Excellent. Well done, we Liam. Do, we do have a lot of clients in Tasmania. They're very keen gardeners with beautiful gardens. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Thanks. Thanks, guys. See you. Thanks, Absolute Liam. pleasure. Thanks for calling in, Liam. Right. Bye. Bye. Um, yeah, the molasses example, um, my friend was talking about it. It was for her gum tree. That's mm. what the, she was recommended. Mm. Um, and it had yeah, responded beautifully because it had, had a, I think it had a bit of possum damage from memory. Oh, yes. Um, so, and that had some tree work done on it, um, if I'm re remembering correctly. But, yeah, the thing that stuck out, because I always remember molasses, mm. hearing about that from Dad, who grew up, you know, he's 89, and, you know, they would have molasses and mil milk, and I'm like... Because they'd feed it to the cat, the the horses. I was going horses. to say, yeah, cattle really love it too. Yes. <laughs> so I was like, wow, yes, I'd forgotten all about the... Mm. Um, the use of it because you just don't it's not something you come across on the shelf that often but was where it, do uh, you come by molasses you get uh, it from grain feed yeah grain shops. feed yeah, yeah you yeah. can buy it in bulk mm -hmm. um, yep. I think you can get it from one litre right up to a 20 litre yeah as well and it's not really overly expensive either mm. um, for the for the amount you actually use um, it, it's quite quite cheap and in, like I've previously spoke about with the lactobacillus, um, and then doing a brew for something like you know for your microorganism for lactobacillus. So I add that molasses to it with a bit of leucin, um, and it just lasts for so much longer. Yes. Yep. So instead of only getting maybe three months, you're going to get maybe to twelve months to nearly two years out of the yeah just storing it. Mm. Yeah, because it's got that constant food source. Yes, but then the plant loves end. it as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> very good. Mm. Yeah. Great advice. So we've got some other lovely plants in the room. What what do we want to chat about next? Meryl, you want to talk about something beautiful? Ah, yes, thank you. Uh, my mind is turning to ground covers at the moment because I am 
sort of expecting a rather hot summer. Uh, it hasn't happened yet, thank, thankfully, mm. but uh, ground covers, I think, are just fabulous things to, to have in the garden all year round. Um, they're, they're great for keeping the surface of the soil intact and keeping all those good little critters that Ben's been talking about up close to the, the surface of the soil. And, uh, and you don't need, need as much mulch if no. you've got ground covers everywhere. Mm. No, you don't. And you don't need as much water, that's for sure, yes. because the amount of evaporation that they prevent is phenomenal. Living so, mulch. Living <laughs> mulch, that's exactly what they are. And they help to stop the weeds from coming through. And in my garden, and we have such a population of birds that bird scratch is actually yes. one of them. I mean, we love them, we encourage them, but they do come with several prices and scratching is, is one of them. So I'm all for lots of nice, dense uh, surface covering foliage ground covers mm. and uh, thinking about what it would be good to sow seed of at the moment to populate with even more ground covers my my thoughts turn towards the veronica family because they they come in all shapes and sizes from low carpeting ground covers up to quite stately upright growing plants with beautiful long spires of flowers that you can use at the back of the border so uh, they're not just ground covers but one of my favorite ground covers um, that I've grown for many years and find very effective is Veronica incana, which is a ground-covering Veronica with grey furry foliage. So it, it's very heat-resistant and very dry-resistant. The other beautiful thing about Veronicas is that rabbits and deer don't like them either. So if you're That's beset, very handy, yes. If you're beset with those pests, uh, mm. deer won't touch them at all. Uh, I understand from gardeners who live in areas with a heavy deer infestation, rabbits may touch them if they're absolutely starving, but uh, they're pretty low on the rabbit's menu. I found they more chart. go for the roots if they, yes, yeah, if they can dig down. Yeah. Yes, but um, they're they're a wonderful frost hardy, heat resistant, drought resistant, ground covering plant. So. Uh, recommending for ground cover, particularly Veronica incana silver sea, because it has that beautiful mat of densely packed grey silver foliage with deep blue upright spires of flowers. Veronicas are marvellously long blooming. They they start in early summer, so just starting to come on duty with flowers now, and they last right through the heat of summer and uh, well into autumn, particularly if you uh, occasionally deadhead off the, the finished flower spikes and cut them right back down to the ground, cut them low so that you encourage that lovely mat of foliage. And how wide would you say they spread there's the different ones. Okay. So the one I'm particularly recommending today, the Veronica Incana Silver Sea, um, I'm holding out my hands again. I reckon one plant would make a really good coverage to about 75 centimetres diameter. Mm. Uh, when it's established, you That's might like good. to plant more densely um, if you want to make a really thick coverage quickly or they're great underplanted around taller things. They will grow in absolutely full sun, down to part shade. They're certainly not things for, for deep shade. They mm. bask and relish uh, the sun, and particularly grey leaf things are, are highly adapted to um, resist the heat of the full burning sun. But you 
can keep them into flower well into autumn as well, particularly with the the cutting off the uh, the dead stems. Although you can cut them well before they're dead because they also make beautiful cut flowers, Veronica's, with their tall mm. spires, lots of beautiful colours. Mm, Generally sounds... in the, the bluey range or can be pinks, um, deep reds, pale uh, blue to white. Mm. So big, big range of... Of colours. It sounds like a really nice substitute for the lamb's ears as well, you know. Like yes, lamb's not ears, as coarse. Yeah, lamb's ears are beautiful, but they get used a lot. So nice yes. to have some Something variation. Yeah. Different, yes, yeah. indeed. To grow um, with the lamb's ears. We've got other species of the lamb's mm. ears, yeah, the stackies, yeah. Ooh, tell so us stackie, um, aficionalis, they're more of a, a green leaf. I mean, they're sort of quite sort of bubbly, the leaf. Yeah, so they get some really nice varieties in the stackies. Oh, in those yes, stackies. And, and beautiful colours too. Yeah. The flowers yeah. on some of the other stackies can yeah. be uh, very showy. Mm. You know, the, the traditional old silver leaf, lamb's ear yeah. textured one, uh, beautiful foliage. But the flower is, mm. well, shall we say, fairly insignificant. Nice, but not significant. But some of the other ones, yeah. Ben's so like the yeah, the officinalis. I mean, there's cultivars yes. of the the officinalis, and you get some pinks to really sort of magenta sort of colours. Yeah, beautiful. As well. Yeah, yes. we get that in the white. So there's actually stacky nivea, which is a a small, tiny little leaf and with lovely pure... emerald green pleated leaves. Yeah, which is yeah, very pretty. Yeah, and showy against the they are. the white flowers. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Yeah. So, um, they're. I think the Veronicas really have a place, many different places in the garden, from background plants to, to foreground ground covers, but all of their flowers are of a very vertical nature. Yep. So they give that lovely vertical line in the mm -hmm. design elements of the garden. But I think if you've got a native garden too, because it's, it's, a, it's a big family, Yes. So if you've got native garden, there's actually native forms of the Veronicas as there well. There are so, indeed, yeah. yes. Yep. So you have got that sort of, you know, choice with yes. it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, there's some great ones. Yeah. And uh, yes, I, I agree. As soon as you see a family of plants like that that inhabits around the world, mm. you know that they're a tough, you know, able to compromise sort of plant. They're not mm. very pernickety in their requirements. Mm. Wide range of soils. The only thing they hate is boggy soil. They won't yep. grow in in soil that's not well drained, but mm. everything from sandy to gravel to loam to clay that's been opened up, a Veronica will absolutely relish as, as long as it's not too wet. So is Incarna easy to do by seed? Yes. Yeah. yeah, the Veronicas are all really easy by seed. Uh, the germination time is short. They're usually poking their heads up within a fortnight. Um, three weeks is a fairly long-term germination mm. for them, so they're quick to do. They're very easy um, but they do like a warm temperature, which is why I chose now as the time, prime time for sowing, because their their optimum temperatures for germination is between 18 and 22 yep. degrees. So in a punnet or a pot, <coughs> in a sheltered site indoors or even outdoors. So I must confess, I'm loath to sow my seeds outdoors because of those scratching birds and the, <laughs> yep. the antichinus and everybody else that likes to yep. eat them and scratch them up. But I, I vouch for that the Veronica Incarna, I think it's absolutely amazing because we've got them planted in our garden and yes. and when they're flowering, you have these beautiful either pink or 
bright, deep blue sort blue. of spikes just yeah. popping up. Against that silvery yeah. foliage. They're yeah. very telling, they indeed. Are. They're very beautiful in the garden. My favourite Veronica is um, Veronica pedunculares. It's a pretty That's and prolific a, thing. Yeah. Yes. The mauve? Uh, it's like a dark blue. I think oh. you can get a mauve one as well. Yes. Um, there's, there's a few different hues. Nice. I think it comes in white too. Yes. Yeah. Yes, it does. Yeah. Um, but that, I think, flowers in autumn and winter. So a bit different. It to gives you that different yeah. season of those lovely colours. Yeah. The other beautiful thing is there's no known toxicity to any animals or humans. Mm. So, From it. Yep. Yeah, so, so they're a really safe plant to grow yeah. in, mm. in all conditions. Wonderful with people with pets and children. Exactly. <laughs> they have had herbal uses in the past. Mm. And, uh, um, well, because they do grow in many places around the world, um, they were one plant that grew in the prairies of America quite happily. So you know that they're going to like to cohabit with other plants, but they did have a herbal use by the Native American Indian First Nations people and uh, all, all sorts, some a little dubious, some a little more dubious than others. Um, they're, they're quite often in many cultures used as a, um, a help in colds and flu because a concoction of them can help to clear the nasal passages and you know, aid with sore throats, etc. And I think that one is, is fairly safe. But the Native American Indians also, or at least some of the First Nations peoples, uh, groups recommended them for snake bite. I, I don't think that's one I would <laughs> heartily endorse today. Yes. Find out a little bit more. I, I think we've yes. probably got better things to use yeah. these days. Fair enough. Go, go to the emergency room if you get a snake um, bite. I think that's probably much better <laughs> yeah. rather than racing out to the garden yes. to the Veronicas. Hmm. But uh, a very wide family and, and really highly recommended for sowing at this time of the year. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Well, thanks for telling us about them. And I recall that you have a special offer for our listeners this morning. Oh, yes. Well, I, what I like to do is encourage listeners to phone in and ask a question, a proper question. You know, any can be about anything. And you can either ask your question on air if you're very brave or you can text your question in or you can phone in and leave your question with the producer who will put it through to us. But for listeners who would like to phone in uh, or, or text in with a question and leave their name and address, then I will send them a free packet of Veronica seeds. And, and we hope that we get a really wide range of questions and lots of people phoning in. Yeah, that's a beautiful offer. So our number is 94190155 and uh, our text line is 0488809855. So thank Wonderful. you for that, Meryl. That's such a kind offer for all the listeners. Oh, I, I, it's such an interesting plan. If I may have a tiny moment, mm. um, Emma, there's, there's a really interesting piece of plant history about the Veronica. Mm, please and, do tell us. And that's how it got its name. Um, many plant names are, of course, based on Latin. And this one is too, but in a fairly roundabout way. So if you break it down, um, vera, V-E-R-A, in Latin means true, true, iconica, likeness. And so the common name of the plant means true likeness. And it's named for... 
um, a, a woman who appears in biblical stories who came to be known as Saint Veronica, the true likeness, because apparently, so the, the biblical story goes, this woman observed the Christ on the way to the Calgary, to his crucifixion on the cross. And uh, uh, she, she wiped his brow, wiped the blood from his brow and, and tried to make him more comfortable. And so she went down in, in biblical history as a saint and called Veronica because she believed she had the true likeness of the Christ figure on the cloth that she used for wiping his brow. Well, so they say that if you look into the flower, the tiny little flower of a Veronica, because they come in lots of flowers packed in these tall spires, you can see a true likeness in each flower. Now, personally, <laughs> I haven't laid low enough to have a good look. <laughs> but that's, that's the story of how the plant gets its name anyway, which is a very interesting... It is um, interesting. A, a, but it also goes to show, even even if you don't believe in the story, it goes to show that the plants have been in human cohabitation. We've loved them and grown them and yep. used them yeah. for so many, many centuries that it, it's got a really old story yeah, attached to it, which is rather sweet, I think. Mm, there's a lot of um, creativity and myth and legend surrounding plants and their their cultivation and... Yeah, it's really lovely to hear that. Thank I, you. I think ethnobotany, you know, the, mm. the study of how people and plants have cohabited and how we've used plants and shared them and moved them around and brought them into our gardens is a really fascinating area. And it doesn't have to be dry and boring. It's, it's really mm. quite fun. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, it's a, it's a lovely path to, to wander down. Indeed. Mm. Garden history. Yeah. <laughs> this whole society's about it. Definitely, yeah. It's woven through us. So, yeah. Just another opportunity to know more about your plants. Indeed. Mm, thank you. So, we've got a lovely text message um, in response to our conversation about killing that tree. Um, what's the best one to use, glyphosate or um, tree and blackberry poison, which is, I think, tricolor? Mm -hmm. um, do you guys have a preference? They both do pretty well. They will yeah, <coughs> both do the same thing. The job. Uh, yeah, they they both will do the job. The yeah, tree yeah. Um, blackberry one bites nature because blackberries are hard to get rid of. Mm. Um, by its name, in inference is that that's usually a bit more potent. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and use on the things that are the tougher mm. ones to hardwood things. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I um, would say or more persistent ones. So you both mm. will do it, but. Yeah. Probably here on the side of um, the uh, glyphosate injection, initially. Injection yeah. method mm. is going to do the job without, you know, getting out the big guns. Yeah, I think as well um, glyphosate can be used in other contexts too and depending on how you uh, mix it, um, you can use it on a broader spectrum of things, um, obviously, yeah. Uh, it's a knockdown, and it's not. It's um, not going to. Uh, and depend. Be yeah, it depends on the tree that you're getting rid of. Some, mm. obviously, adding something like that will, um, if you're removing it at stump level and and painting it, mm. um, often that um, isn't another method. But there are some trees that, if you're giving them a cut back, they they, they that will be their their end. As in, yeah. they just they won't come back. Um, because they 
they won't reshoot. Mm. There's probably not that many in that category, but there are some that you don't need to do Any treatment. Any poisoning on um, mm. a, yeah. a severe cut. Um, we'll do the we'll job. Do, we'll do a good job. Yeah. So that that's good advice really as well in the first instance. If you do want to kill a tree, try chopping it down first without using a herbicide. And then if it starts to reshoot, then potentially you'll need to go in. I think we've got to stop using, well, minimise the amount of those herbicides and insecticides and fungicides as much as possible. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, sometimes there is a need for it. Um, so I'm not saying don't use it, mm. but, yeah, I think if you can avoid using it, then, yeah. then I would. And, and even yeah. if you can hire someone that's a stump grinder, mm. you know, then that yeah. will really... I mean, I know it can disturb the soil a little bit more, but if you can avoid using the chemicals and grind out the stump instead, um, yeah. yeah. I know there are budgetary constraints, but that that's a worthwhile thing to do as well. And the, and the technique that we were just talking about too of cutting off the, the trunk, the stump low, mm. and then using the, the chainsaw or just a saw mm. to right. sort of put a little crisscross, yes. you know, checkerboard pattern. Scoring. Scoring, yeah. that's it. And then sparingly use your herbicide in that, mm. like Emma's uh, injection technique. It's mm. another yeah. way of using less no. more effectively. Correct. Mm. And I think the other thing there pertinent from memories uh, or recollection is the speed with which you do it afterwards absolutely mm. so before it, it can callus over yeah mm. cut it and do it pretty much straight, straight away, away. yeah yeah because yeah. then it's been drawn down in yeah yep. the plant is still the vascular tissue of the plant will it's draw still it working. down Correct. Yeah. yeah yeah so yep. get it, do it quick yeah well that's really helpful um we've also got uh rosie from mount eliza she's on line eight hello rosie Oh, hi. Thank hi, you for guys. holding. Great show. <laughs> no, that's great. Um, so I've got two questions, and I hope you don't mind. No, uh, not at all. The more, the merrier. <laughs> oh, good. Well, um, yeah, I have so many questions. Um, <laughs> the first one is um, my hellebores. Um, I have a little group of hellebores. They're all the same variety, and they look very good. So I'd like to... Um, save some of the seed yes and how should i best do that uh well they should be starting to make pods now Mm. and uh it's a bit of a watching game because it's Mm. best if you can leave those pods on as long as possible to mature the seed but on the other hand as they start to dry then you've got to keep a close eye because uh they'll split You know, we get a hot day and they'll dry and split and drop their seed. Well, you can always scrabble around and pick it up if you get there before the birds. But, uh, yeah, it's a bit of a watching game to get the seed pods drying and then bag them. Yeah, so I've actually been using a bag because I've... Yes. Been, uh because I've got particular species. I've got a poppy for, for Meryl that I've got to get seeds for. <laughs> so I've actually got to pollinate and then I've got to isolate it straight away. Yes. So I use like a – they're like the a – muslin bags. Muslin bags, yeah. yeah. Put that over the top of Actually, it. Actually, you can and buy that, them now just at the supermarket. Yeah. Uh, our supermarket oh, has them so that you can uh, – instead of using plastic bags when you pick up your, your peas and things in the supermarket – um, they've got these lovely little muslin bags with the drawstring top, yeah. perfect. Yeah, for and, so, our and that way it just yeah, and just let it and dry. And they're cheap as chips. And the little black little seeds. Yeah, and then they're, you know, they're they come quite off. they're quite shiny black beads when they're ripe, and uh, quite large, so they're easy to catch in the bag and uh, mm. easy to sew. So, 
Yeah, and the fresher the hellebore seed, the the quicker it's going to germinate. Often they take a while to germinate. I I love to tell the tale of my my really beautiful hellebores from Inverview Garden in Scotland. Um, they had a really wonderful strain of hellebores, and I was able to beg and and borrow some seed and uh, brought it into Australia perfectly legally with the permission of the Aquas people. And I had it in a punnet for two years, and it did absolutely nothing because, unfortunately, it wasn't fresh seed. So in the end, I gave up hope, chucked the punnet out into the garden in, you know, just chucking you out in a fury. And another two years later, up came my Inview hellebores in abundance (laughs) and beauty. (laughs) But it wasn't fresh seed, so it did take four winters to get it, convince it to germinate. So, yes, do gather your seed. And if you can sow it this this year, you'll have your best success. Wonderful. Um, And my second question is also seed-related. I've had no success with tetrapanics, and I just wondered if Meryl could tell me or anybody how I could get tetrapanics to um, germinate or grow. I think it's the freshness again that's the trick. What's what's your thoughts, Ben? Because tetrapanics would be something you'd be keen on. Yeah, it's uh, you've got to see if the, the seed's viable. Yeah. Um, and so how long have you had the seed down for? Oh, well, no, this was last year. And I really, I'd like to buy a plant, but they seem quite difficult to come by. So... <laughs> I bought the seed online, so it possibly wasn't fresh at all. Yeah. Um, yeah, the, the, the plant Not is... Not from is... Merrill. Can I just make that <laughs> clear? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> That's kind of you. We don't have any tetrapanax seed at the moment, I'm, I'm sorry to say, but it is one that does need... It's got a fairly short viability, so it does need to be quite fresh. So if you can find somebody in your area with a tetrapanax bush, and mm. they certainly do grow well... Um, you know, around the Dandenongs area. Um, and I've got one in my garden, so I'll certainly be watching out for some seed for you. Any any thoughts, Ben? Yeah, look, the well, I mean, if you can get seed, I think you probably just need to leave it for, for about two years and see what um, happens. Yeah, um, okay. But I, the plant, I have seen it around, so I know um, there's probably three nurseries I could actually rattle off. There's yes. uh, You have got Stephen Ryan, uh, which is Dixonia Rare Plants. Yep. Uh, you've got Yamina rare plants up yes, in the Dandenongs. Yes, yes. And you also got David from Jindavik. Um, he, I know he definitely has it in his his nursery as well. David Muskers. David nurse, Muskers, yeah. Muskers yeah. rare plants nursery yeah. in Jindavik, yes. So he definitely oh, has, think, has the plant. And um, they're I think often, a trip out. Uh, and they're definitely, often grown yes. by cutting. So, uh, And then you know the foliage colour and, and form that you're getting. So if you can get an established plant, you know, you, you'll know its provenance. Mm. Right. Sounds good. Thank you so much, guys. That's really helpful. Thank you. Wonderful. Thank Thanks you. for calling. And maybe you get two packets of Veronica seed, two different ones. <laughs> oh, no, no. <laughs> two well, questions. I'm very lucky. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks. Bye. And we also have another lovely caller. Um, I'll pop her through. Hello. Uh, hello, hello there. Max. Hi, Speaking. Max. Yeah, hi. Um, I planted some or two kiwi fruit plants um, back in August when they were dormant. Um, one of them, the male, um, did sprout some um, some leaves and some shoots, and one of those got sort of 
partly eaten by a, a, a slug or snail. <laughs> they have been very active this year. Yeah, moist. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Um, so I wasn't too worried about that. Um, now, um, since that's happened, um, there hasn't been, well, that, with the male, there hasn't been any further growth and all of what was there has, has now um, had died off a few weeks ago um, and there's been no sign of life at all from the female. So mm. I'm wondering whether I've got um, just some dud plants or... Um, Did you buy them... I should wait a bit longer or... Did you or buy what? them bare-rooted, Max? Um, they were in pots. Okay, but not yeah. not shot at the time you bought them. Um, by shot, do you mean... Um, they, they, they didn't have any growth on. They were dormant when you bought them. Yes, that's right. Yeah, mm. yeah. Yeah. I, I think um, I think your girl has gone to God. I check yeah. first. Just scratch the stem yeah. with your fingernail. Just scratch yeah. the stem and see mm. if you've got any yeah. green life there. Mm. Um, okay. Because I, right. we've got a kiwi yeah. fruit. It's only just starting to take off at the moment mm-hmm. at home. So that's what I was saying this morning, early yeah, this morning, so, how things are starting late, later. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I'd just check and scratch it and just see. And then if you've got that green life, then... Wait Hold until, on. yeah, yeah, because it's the, the, probably the ground is still quite cold. Yeah, yeah that's, so, that could be true. Yeah. And and maybe if it is, if it still is green, get um, be re- ready for some extra, maybe some liquid fertilizer or yeah, some nutrients. Or some, um, yeah, some seaweed, mm. seaweed or mm. for when the new or growth fish happens. product. Yep. Yeah, you can douse yep. on. It's not going to do any harm mm. if you yeah. get if you have that, you know, sort of little green sub layer showing as Ben suggested. Yep. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Okay, um, that's great. Um, th- thanks very much. And the, and the girls don't grow as vigorously as the boys, so she might be just being coy. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, well, the, the male who appears to have um, lost interest also. I'll scratch the surface and see what I can do. <laughs> great. Yeah. Just a little nick. You don't want, yeah, to, do yeah. want a big nick? You're no, just a just little nick, that's tiny. all. Yeah. Mm. Back okay. of the fingernail. Right. Thanks very much. Pleasure. Yeah. Thanks, Max. Okay. Yeah. Bye-bye. Bye. We've got quite a good amount of text messages as well. So, um, Glennis would like to um, ask, what was the name of the paint colour that you recommended, Stephen? Um, it's a colour called Treacle. So, T-R-E-A-C-L-E. Mm-hmm. Um and is that in the Dulux range or...? Um, it was. Um, I've got it from a couple of different paint stores. Um, so basically um, I bought it originally, I think it was a Dulux, but mm-hmm. I've now got a, um, a wattle shop near me. I've gone sure. to there and just gone with the code, the yep. colour code, um, and they can match it. Yeah. So treacle. Wonderful. Mm. That's really good. And they can look up too. So if you say Dulux treacle, they'll look up and and make exactly that colour for you. Correct. And then we've got Ange from Warrenwood. She says, um, I love the Veronica Incarna, which was mentioned. I'll need to get it for my garden. Can you suggest any plants with orange, peach, coral or salmon flowers that like part shade and clay soil? Mm -hmm. You could try some of the new digiplexus. They're a cross between digitalis mm-hmm. and isoplexus, and uh, they're proving pretty soundly perennial in 
well, at least in, in my garden, um, mm. and they have got those beautiful corally peach. There's different varieties, um, peach, apricot, um, sort of warm cherry tonings, which all go in beautifully together. And mm. they look like a bushy foxglove. But yeah. the beaut thing is they bloom for months and months and months and months. They've started already and they'll still be going in the autumn. And even more so if you, again, dead stem them. Mm. So cut off the spent stems, prevent them from seeding, and uh, they'll just keep producing new new uh, stems. Mm. And they're a good background or middle ground plant. They're quite compact in their growth but very upright, very strong, sturdy stems. Typical foxglove-style trumpet flowers, but beautiful markings and mm. colour shadings. They're not just a solid block of colour. They're <laughs> blends of colour, mm. which I find very effective in the garden. And the bees design. love them The too. bees adore them. That's what I meant to mention too about the Veronicas. Mm. They're full of nectar. Um, the bees and... Uh, Butterflies absolutely love them. Mm. And if our native honey-eating birds can get up enough gumption to pretend to be a hummingbird, they will also <laughs> sip the nectar. <laughs> Another one I'd recommend is a guillem. Oh, yes, a lo- yep. oh, yes mm. and Ben's yeah, brought Ben's a beauty. <laughs> yeah, you can get a, a huge variety of colours in the guillems, but you can get apricot. You can. We, yeah. we grow probably about nearly 12, <clears throat> nearly 15 varieties of genes. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Mm. So, and lovely and colours. Get, yeah, all sorts of colours. The only colour we haven't found is pure white. Mm. Um, it, uh, but you can get yeah, real pale yellows to sell in nearly. Lemons yeah, and so to lose to the, and, to But the lots of peaches and apricot yeah. blends all the way to flame colours. And they do make such a lovely compact little dome of foliage mm. with the flowers bobbing around on, on stems above. You can get quite tall ones that can grow up to about 60, 75 centimetres or really diminutive little ones for front edges, pots and underplanting around roses and shrubs and they're full sun to part shade um, plants too. Mm. In fact, we've got um, quite a bit of shade. Yeah, we've got a really good one called uh, it's a GM, um, uh, Prince Juliana. Yes. And, and I've had that flowering. I've used it in a few landscaping jobs as well and I've had it flowering for nearly 10 months of the year. Yeah. And even in our own garden. Yeah, it, it likewise. Just, yeah. And very long stems with yeah. the flowers sort of elegantly poised mm. at the top of a long stem above yeah. a very n- nice, neat and tidy rosette of quite yeah. broad foliage. So, yeah. Butte middle ground plant again and, and one of those see-through plants that I love so much that it's got presence without blocking out anybody else. Exactly, you yeah. Know. yeah. And yeah. they will self-seed as well. Depending <coughs> on the variety, yeah. Yeah, yeah some of yeah. them will. So, cause so we've got some of the Montana varieties, the cultivars, mm-hmm. um, and I've not seen them sort of self-seed. The oh, seed just okay. hasn't been viable. That's yeah. a valid um, point. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, I mean, my favourite is the, the GM uh, trifolium. Oh, yes. That is absolutely just like one of the, the, prairie the holy, grail, holy grail of, of GMs, uh, I find. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, common name, prairie smoke. Yeah. Um, well, because it grows on the prairies in North America, but yeah. the smoke bit is the important bit because the flowers are lovely. They're sort of little nodding. Um, Pale mm. pink to nearly red sort of yes. yeah, bell-shaped flowers. Uh, and or, then, or almost like yeah. pixie hat yeah. flowers. Yeah. They're yeah. very charming flowers. Yeah. But then the seed yeah, head which is, is spectacular. The, that's wow. the the whole thing about the plant is the it's actual seed just head. Yeah, smoke. It's just yeah. gorgeous. We'll have some of them at Yarra Valley. 
and I'll have the seeds. Yes. So yep. Yep. <laughs> see you at Excellent. Yarrow Valley. That's it. <laughs> yeah, I just looked yeah. them up. They're very beautiful. Yeah. Almost like a cottonous flower. Uh, yes, little... that's right. right. Like, like a smoke bush, but yeah. on a mm. tiny little, mm. well, not tiny, but a, a diminutive plant. Yeah, by yeah. comparison. But it yes. doesn't like really late afternoon sun. That's no, not fine. So it is, uh, yeah, a bit yeah. more sheltered. Yeah. Yeah. So morning sun. Um, it will handle most of the sun during the day. But not yeah. but that it's really usually, hot. Yeah, in summer, yeah. it's not that really intense, like mm. from one o'clock on. Princess Juliana. Is, that will. is a much more robust and yeah. sturdy mm. grower if you've got pretty tough conditions. But, yeah, um, yeah the, the uh, prairie smoke is uh, one to treasure. Mm. Yeah, it is. Yeah, and, and the good thing about it with jams too, you can get different heights as well. Exactly. Because um, yeah. I've got another one. One I did bring in was the jam uh, Montanum, uh, the uh, Apricot Delight. Which is ideal for our caller. It's just yeah, the perfect Yeah, it is. And mm. the flower, it, it, it is It's quite it, that nice apricot colour, but as it ages, it turns yellow. Yes. The actual flower. Mutating so colours. It yeah. is, yeah. And yeah. did you have a recommendation, Stephen? Um, I was, well, one came to mind because I wasn't too sure the context of whether they wanted um it was Ange, i think and um, wanted to what style of plants but it had warren wood with clay yeah and it's semi-shade semi-shade whether some yeah. of the smaller corriers because i know there's some mm. of those salmon yes colored mm. ones that is are it pulchella pulchella yeah there's yeah. probably kind of view of few of those the salmon pink um it really depends on what size plant she's wanting and what uh, potentially going with the veronica but yeah it depends on the garden her garden space um, and what she wants to go with it. But there's some beautiful little corriers. Some mm. can be sort of half a metre, mm. some up and, to a metre. So really it depends rounded on rounded shrubs and yeah. often quite densely foliage. So and often like that winter, early spring time yeah, or so late late period. winter. So you get your different colours at different times. So yeah, it depends yeah. on when she was wanting. Mm. Or birds. what was she wanting? Sorry, yeah. that's something that came to mind. That's a great option. Mm. Yeah. Birds adore the couriers, both yeah. for the nectar in... And they generally do well in clay kind of soils. They do. So they that might do. be a consideration for there. Well, we do have another caller. We've got Judith from Surrey Hills to chat about a peony. Hi, Judith. Hi. Hello. <clears throat> um, I have a peony which has been uh, in the ground for about five years. It's never flowered. Is there anything I should be doing that I'm not doing? And can I ask, is it a tree peony or a no, herbaceous? No, it's not. It's a herbaceous. Okay. Yes. I, I think the answer is fairly quick and easy. Um, herbaceous peonies that have planted or have pulled themselves down too deep mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. will rarely flower because oh. they can push their leaf buds up, but they can't push the flower buds up from, from too too far down. So in the winter, you need to do it sort of right at the end of June is a great time when yeah. they're completely asleep. Then yeah. you can dig it up and lift it up mm. so that the uh, the big, round, fat, plump buds that are um, the flower buds need to be just with their tips below the surface. And peonies have a cunning trick. If they get a bit too hot and stressed, the roots... contractile I'll actually pull themselves deeper down into the ground to protect themselves but sadly then they can't flower so you you do also need in the winter to pull any mulch away so that they're not too deeply down and their buds are all exposed to the nice frost which they love so much Um, and they need a lot of feed they're very gross heavy feeders Um, and they do food for them Sorry? Just to, what is the best thing to feed them with? 
Uh, any Which, good general fertiliser, the only right, yeah. they they like a mixed diet, a bit of anything that you've got going, and as often as right. you're prepared to offer it, compost and yes, it, as, all as that. Well. Yes, but the yes, only yes, thing yes. you shouldn't give them is fresh manure because well rotted no. is fine, but fresh right. um, can you know bring some disease. So yes, lift it up in that. the winter and give it a mm. huge feed any time you feel like it. They actually do even eat in the winter, so um, you can't mm. do any harm. For, you can never overfeed a peony. Mm. Great. Thank you very much. I'll do that. Wonderful. Thanks for calling in, Judith. Bye. All the best. So we've got a few more text messages. One person wanted to clarify they thought a Veronica is a Hebe, which is ah. not quite correct no they're, dif um, they're different yeah. plants um that's the problem with the common name isn't mm. it it gets applied to all different plants that are not even vaguely yeah. related so hebes are sometimes called veronicas mm. our, our call is correct yes but, uh, it's the name is more correctly applied to veronicas <laughs> yeah and we're talking about the perennial veronicas whereas a hebe is um an evergreen shrub, shrub. From New Zealand, I believe, Correct. originally. So, yeah. um, yes, uh, easy to make that um, uh, mistake. But, yeah, we're talking about a different plant. Um, we've also got a question of spelling around GM. I believe it's G-E-U-M. Correct. Okay. That's yeah. it. Yep. Yeah. And then um, uh, in ground for a year... Uh, so she's had a couple of them in ground for a year and they've not flowered. What can we suggest? The GMs? Yes, yeah. the GMs. First thing says check your pH of your soil. Okay. That's always, you know, priority. Check your pH because sometimes just correcting your pH can make things uh, more available for the plant to, yeah. Burst to, into. Yeah, to come into flower. Um, but if your pH is fine, um, so I'd probably recommend uh, doing the, the boron spray on it uh, and a... Um, a trace element spray as well. Mm. And yeah. maybe checking the position for how much sun it's getting. Yeah. Uh, many GMs are full sun plants. Other GMs are part shade, part sun mm. plants, but none of them like it really deeply shaded. So mm. it just may not be receiving enough sun, mm. hours of sun in the day. Mm. I, I'd recommend a minimum of may, maybe four to five hours of sun a day. What mm. do you think, Ben? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. they do, do like a bit of sun. So maybe uh, if you do have a couple of them and you're unsure of which variety you have, um, it might be worthwhile digging up one of the specimens and moving it to an area with more sun and just seeing how it goes before you uh, move all of them. Yes, mm. yeah. or, or I'm perfectly happy if our caller would like to send me an email mm. and, and describe it or even better send me a photograph. We mm. might be able to ID it for her and... Mm. and uh, or come, to the, or come to the plant fair. Or come to yeah, the Yarra Valley photo. plant fair. Yeah. And bring a leaf along. We'll yeah, be glad or to help. A photo of, yeah, yeah, and yeah, we can certainly probably work something out. I'm mm. sure. Yeah. Wonderful. Um, we've got Nelly from Collingwood. She has a gardenia and received a gift. She received it as a gift. Uh, she'd like to know when and how to plant it into the ground. Oh, I'd go for it yeah. straight away. Yeah, um, we're getting near to the time where I wouldn't say so, but n yeah. now's fine. Yeah. yeah, and the gardenias here like morning sun. Mm. Yes, um, but protection from the afternoon. Mm. They, they and plenty of wind shelter. They hate trees. Yeah, yeah. Mm. 
So a pot is not a bad idea for a gardenia in Victoria, I think, because it stays nice and warm and you can put it in a position where it's it's going to be favoured by shelter from the wind and Mm. shelter from the hot afternoon sun. And they do like quite a lot of food, I've found. So, you know, keep the food up to them, whether it's blood and bone or um, I know Harry's gardenia food is quite popular. Um, and I, I found it to be very good. It's right. well balanced yes. for them. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we also got Paul from Richmond. What is the best Veronica for a small inner city backyard, which only gets a few hours of direct sunlight? Ooh, gosh, that's going to be a tricky one if it's only a few hours. I would perhaps recommend one of the upright growing ones so you haven't got the foliage down close to soil that maybe stays moist for too long so um, I'd perhaps go for Veronica longer folia Uh, longer folia just means it's got long leaves but it does grow in a sort of candle shape very upright tall spires of flowers and you can take the foliage off from the bottom parts of the stems so that you're keeping the foliage away from the ground. I'd perhaps think that that would be your best bet, but not recommended for too shady a position. Mm. Hmm. We've got the um, Veronica, the white gelandi. That handles um, a lot more shade, and that's just a pure white flower. Yeah. yeah, and that's one of the more upright varieties as well. Good. So, so that's yeah. great mm. recommendation. Yeah. Yeah. White. White gelandi. Gelandi. Yeah, yep. we grow that as well so mm-hmm. yeah good recommendation yeah. yeah there you go paul there's a couple um we've also got eileen uh she has a miscanthus oh sorry no her name is not eileen the 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 text messenger kate from northgate <laughs> has a miscanthus named eileen quinn and uh they're very slow to regrow after cutting back in winter um she has some small green shoots, but any suggestions to get them kicking off? I'd say that's pretty common. I'd, I'd say it's normal. Yeah. Mine are doing the same thing. They're only just emerging after their, yeah. their winter severe haircut. <laughs> yeah, you could apply a liquid feed, you know, yeah. um, but I wouldn't say that will really increase the growth or speed up the growth necessarily. No. So I think I think it's uh, tracking normal. as it should be. Yeah. 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 But thanks for the question anyway, Kate. Um, and then we've got, uh, just in case there's a packet of seeds heading my way. Oh, they've sent in their address. I won't read it out online. <laughs> no. <laughs> but they really appreciate all the advice, so that's lovely. Uh, we've got a caller. This is Tina from Strathbo- uh, Strathmore Heights about gall wasp. Hello, Tina. Oh, hi. Thanks for taking my call. Pleasure. Um, I seem to have this uh, losing battle with gall wasp in my dwarf lemon tree. and. Oh. Um, it's hard when I, they're in dwarf trees yes. too. Is it? Well, just because there's less tree to be chopping back, you <laughs> yeah. know. In a, in a larger tree, you can be a bit severe, but when you've got a little baby, it's hard. Yeah. I, what I've been doing is scraping um, the the where the eggs are. I've mm. been scraping that part of the branch um, open to expose them to the air. Apparently, that kills them off. Yeah, it can, but it can also leave your tree susceptible to other diseases. Um, ah. Yeah, by by opening up the the plant yep. to the open air. The only thing I'd recommend if you're doing that is use something called SteriPrune or some mastic to cover it over after a day or so, just to seal reseal the wound. Yeah. 
um, that you can get from, you know, your hardware store. Um, okay. and, and make sure that the tool that you're using is nice and clean. A sterile. A sterile yes. when you're doing yeah. it. Some, so. some meths will sterilize it mm. nicely for yeah. the flayed spirits. Ah, so okay. the method you're doing is fine. It just, just be aware that you can have other, other yep. things get in there if it's an open wound. I've been doing this for, well, probably a few years now, and I just don't feel like I'm getting anywhere with it. Mm. Is there something I'm doing wrong, or is it because it's just gall wasp in the area? Yeah. Is, it, is it in the pot? It, it, no, it's in the ground. Yeah, okay. Do you I, feed it? No, uh, not really. No. <laughs> no. The, the challenge with gall wasp is, you're right, talking about the area, mm. but you can do your management, um, the different methods uh, mm. locally in your garden, but if the lemon tree or citrus trees next door and beyond... Mm. Um, haven't been treated, then they there's a high likelihood they'll come back because they're in the area. Okay. Um, so that's one of the challenges. I know gall wasp is, um, yeah, there are um, some ways to treat it, but mm. the difficulty of it is that you may not know who what your neighbour's doing with theirs. Mm. Prevention um, is also a method you can use. So um, I believe that the gall wasp lays its eggs from November through till maybe January, mm. um, and you can purchase uh, sticky traps with pheromones in them Correct. from yep. the hardware store. Um, yeah, they can get full of other bugs as well, uh, but but they will predominantly catch the gall. And if you do do it a- around the right time, that can that can help. Okay. And, you, and you're doing the whole district a favour. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like I'm the only one in the district doing it. Well, <laughs> you probably the, are. <laughs> you, you might be, but there might be others that are doing it as well. Um, but mm. it's just the the challenge of having having it um, mm. around the area, and, and it's around mm. every. You know, it's not. I'm sure they're not just living in your suburb. Yeah. Although the rest of us would be happy if they were living in your suburb. <laughs> I do, <laughs> but, yeah. but I know that they're around everywhere. So I do recall as well. A, a good resource is um, if you look up Kay Roberts Palmer. She did a campaign called Save Our Citrus for quite a while, and I believe her ah. website would still have some good resources Great. that is, are a bit more in-depth than what we're offering. So uh, have a Google of that and just see. And I'm sure as well, if you got in touch with Kay and asked her via email, she'd, she'd have some other recommendations. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Oh, that's all right. <laughs> Pleasure. Thank you for a lovely show. Oh, wonderful. I'm glad you're enjoying it. Thanks for calling in, Tina. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye. We've had such an influx of text messages, so I'll just keep going. Um, On Friday, we saw a magnificent herbaceous peony in full flower. It's in Glen Iris and and it flowers every year. It's definitely a herbaceous type. They must give it lots of love. (laughs) Well, they must be somehow giving it lots of cold because whilst tree peonies can flower without a great period of winter chilling. Mm. Herbaceous peonies do need um, a a good six weeks of chilling. Mm. Now, I do know some absolutely mad people (laughs) who freeze up ice blocks every night and go out and dump the ice blocks on their peony crowns because Glen Iris, I would think, is fairly frost-free. Yes, I've been told the same thing. So maybe they're doing the ice block for six weeks treatment or it may be an Ito or Ito peony, which doesn't need quite as much chilling. Um, and, and they're a, a, a recent 
uh, crossbreed between trees and herbaceous, which again don't need quite as much chilling. Um, so that that could be the answer. But that is, yeah. they do like that winter frost for six weeks. And on that topic, how do you differentiate between the itos and the herbaceous peonies? Because their foliage is similar. Yes, it is. Although the itos tend to uh, grow in a more compact domed mm. shape and very heavily foliage. So they mm. look like a nice cushion or, or plum pudding shape okay. of foliage, whereas That's the good. trees are more spare mm. uh, and sticky. They have the the permanent superstructure of wood. Yeah. The herbaceous are just upright stems and then die and down. And then die down completely. Altogether, all yeah. That's really helpful, I think, for listeners because sometimes it can be tricky to differentiate. Yes. Mm. And and the price will tell too. <laughs> yes, true, true. The Ito are a bit more expensive. Yes, they yeah. are. Yeah. Yes. Um, we've got Susie who's messaged in to say, Emma, Jacob, Merrill, Ben and Stephen, another excellent show today. Such a good way to start the day. Thank you, Susie. Oh, isn't that lovely? Yeah, <laughs> we appreciate that. Um, hi, I've lost my instructions for making the kaolin clay for gore wasp. Do you have any ideas? Or for mixing it up? Um, mm. I know. I've not come across that one. Yeah, I think it's just water with the kaolin clay. Making it into a paste yeah. consistency would would make sense to me. Whether yeah. there's anything added to it, I'm not familiar with the recipe. Yeah, sorry, mm. Kim. You no, no. no, might be one of Stephen Ryan's potions. Yeah, mm. I'm not sure about the ratio and whether there's anything else you need to add. But yeah, sorry about that, Kim. But maybe having a look on the internet would bring it mm. up. Yes. Yeah. I fact, where's our phones? We could do it now. <laughs> yeah, there might be a fixative that you add anyway, yes. but I won't. I won't speculate because I'm not a hundred percent sure. No, me but, either. But thank you for messaging in anyway, and, and that'll put us on the search. So that was yeah, a good thing. We'll keep it in mind, and that's something that our other lovely caller could could uh, research as well. Whether kale and clay is so. How's that one spelled? Uh, K-A-O-L-I-N. It's just K-O-L-I-N. fine potting clay, fine mm. white yep. potting clay, freely yeah. available. Yeah. Great. Well, mm. we're heading towards the end of the show, so I might take the opportunity to thank all of you in the room, Stephen, Merrill and Ben. It's It's been a wonderful show. Um, and thank you to Jacob, our producer, as got in here in the nick of time and we very much appreciate the time and effort you put in um also thank you to liz our lovely um social media manager who posts photos every week it's it's very helpful and uh to all the listeners out there that are tuning in uh my name's emma hurd and it's been lovely wandering down the garden path with you all so thank you so much see you next time You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.